Your Excellencies, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this uh, special event. Uh, you're here, of course, to uh, hear uh, Kyriakos Mitsotakis. Uh, we've agreed a slightly different format uh, than usual. Uh, you want to talk to him, he wants to talk to you, so we're proposing a much more interactive uh, format. Kindly, he has agreed that we go straight to uh, a conversation. He and I are going to have a conversation shortly on stage. And then we will give plenty of time for Q&A with you from the audience. So hopefully this will meet many different interests rather than having the, the formal lecture. There may be some of you in the room uh, who may not actually know Kiriakos Mitsotakis uh, so well. So let me say one or two brief words of uh, introduction. Kiriakos Mitsotakis has uh, been leader of New Democracy, the centre-right party in Greece, since January 2016. Uh, he was previously under Andonis Samaras, Prime Minister. Uh, he was Minister for Administrative Reform and E-Governance. Uh, his education, uh, he's a graduate of Athens College, Harvard University and Stanford University. Sadly, not the London School of Economics. <laughs> but he seems to be intellectually robust to survive that loss of his personal career uh, trajectory. Uh, so, uh, of course, we're looking forward to uh, hearing what he's got to say. Before we start, can you please join me in giving a very warm LSE welcome to Kiriakos Mitsotakis. I should just double check that the microphones are working and at the back you can hear us, yes? Very good. Uh, there is silence, so uh, you probably can't even hear the question. <laughs> um, we seem to be sat in a rather more intimate fashion than I'd expected, but it's well, fine. I can, uh, it's, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah. Um, so we're going to have uh, a conversation to elaborate a number of uh, ideas. Um, perhaps for an international audience, the first uh, question might be, um, in your situation, since you've been leader of the party, you've been ahead in the opinion polls. The opinion polls now give you something like a 20 percentage point uh, lead. Um, but I just wonder whether at the moment you would wish there to be early elections or whether you would prefer to come to power later after the present government has introduced uh, some very unpopular austerity measures uh, and whether you would um, simply prefer to sit back and smile and watch them introduce uh, austerity measures, the like of which they were previously opposing. Wouldn't, oh, you, you, wouldn't you prefer an election in a year's time, two years' time? You, you did start by asking a, a tricky question. <laughs> um, first of all, let me, let me thank you for this uh, invitation, and thank you all for, uh, for attending and for this very impressive full house. Uh, let me correct you and remind you that I did spend a semester at the London School of Economics <laughs> as an exchange student back in 1988 uh, at a time when it was still rather unusual for students from the U.S. to come over 
uh, to the UK, and I, I had a great time. Um, I still remember I took a course in, in public choice, which was actually my, my first uh, uh, experience with a sort of decision-making uh, theory, and I very much appreciated the fact that you actually had no exams during the first semester, which made my, which made my, made my stay very, very pleasant. Uh, but it's great to be back uh, 29 years uh, later. So let me uh, jump straight to the, to the question. Uh, the, the answer is no. Um, I've been uh, calling for an early election since uh, last April uh, because I have a, a fundamental central premise that the longer this government stays in power, the more underlying damage will be done to the, to the economy. And unfortunately, uh, what we currently see happening in Greece seems to vindicate my approach. Uh, it took the government 15 months to complete the second review. We're faced with a very heavy uh, austerity package, which in our mind was completely unnecessary. Uh, we have fiscal measures for 2019-2020, which were not part of the third program. So essentially what we have is a fourth program without additional funding. At the same time, the economy is, uh, is back in a recession. Um, uh, we saw uh, no, uh, no growth uh, in, uh, in 2016. Uh, 2017 uh, has been a, f- a bad year uh, so far. And my fear is that the more, the more time we lose, the more we, we pretend that we are reforming, the more we pretend that we're negotiating, but just uh, keeping sort of our internal factions happy, the more damage will be done to the country. On the economic front, uh, I also have a major issue with what's happening on, uh, on other aspects of, of policy which are less frequently discussed uh, in, in the public domain. Uh, reforms in education have been rolled back. Um, uh, our healthcare system is, is almost um, uh, collapsing. Uh, clientelistic politics are returning in public administration. A lot of the reforms that I try to implement have also been rolled back. And there has been what I consider an unacceptable level of intervention uh, in, in justice and in media. Ooh. So overall, if, if I consider the balance to be negative, uh, my interest is to try to have an election as quickly as uh, possible. Uh, obviously, we've made it very clear from the beginning that we cannot impose an election, um, but that does not mean that we're not going to call for one, and we're not going to be making the case that uh, the quicker we have a political change, uh, the less likely it is that we break out of this uh, you know, vicious cycle in which we found ourselves. Okay. The title of our discussion is, uh, begins with the words, defeating populism. And uh, obviously, in preparation for our conversation, uh, we were looking at uh, statements you've made, statements the party's made. A mm. um, little while ago, you were accusing uh, cities uh, of being, quote, corrupt with the Savivis uh, affair. Uh, this weekend, uh, the party's spokesman, Vasilis Kikilias, uh, was talking about uh, Syriza having put Greece in the hands of the IMF, handing over Greece to the IMF. Sounds a bit populist to me. Oh, I, I missed that statement. Okay. No, I'm, no, I'm, I'm joking. Um, um, look, I, I've been making a, a very strong argument against populism since I basically entered politics in 2004. Uh, and uh, when, I, when I talk about populism, I envision uh, sort of a, uh, an attitude towards politics which sort of greatly simplifies problems, which always uh, uh, places the, the, the burden for what's happening to the country um, on someone outside the, uh, outside the country, uh, appealing to raw emotions, um, dividing rather than uniting, and, and looking inwards rather than looking outwards. So in my mind... Distinctions between the populists from the right and from the left are not that significant. 
And I, I do think that there is a central cleavage in, in politics today, uh, which is not so much uh, the cleavage between the right and the left, but the cleavage between the, what we call populism and what we would call sort of moderate uh, liberal rationalism. And I think the best evidence uh, that this is the case is the fact that in Greece, we should not forget, we have a coalition uh, of a party that started as a radical left, uh, governing with a party that is clearly to the right uh, of, of Nea Demokratia. So uh, that's why I, I, I make this, uh, this case that populism, uh, regardless of where it comes from, is, is, is problematic. Now, when it, we have been uh, making a convincing case that we need to tell people the truth. By telling people the truth, um, obviously there is never an absolute truth, but uh, uh, if we want to restore trust uh, and a level of honesty, uh, you have, first of all, to start by accepting what the real problem is, uh, taking a, an honest view at the, at the mirror and look at your own reflection, and then come up with, with reasonable, sometimes complicated solutions to complicated problems. So in my mind, that is, that is the fundamental distinction uh, between what, what uh, Tsipras did when he was uh, in the opposition and what we're doing uh, now. And but if you had been giving a speech here tonight... Uh, presumably you wouldn't have used the phrase that the current government is handing Greece over to the IMF. Well, uh, no, I would not have used that phrase, but I would have made the point that the way the government has dealt with, uh, with the IMF in, in, its, in its own way uh, is, uh, is, very, is very populist in nature. Why am I saying that? Uh, the IMF has been making some, some correct arguments uh, about the fact that we need uh, lower primary surpluses and a bigger intervention on the debt side. But because we always need a villain uh, in Greece and because the government needed a villain, it did not take advantage uh, of the fact that some of the IMF, some of the positions of the IMF were actually aligned with Greek interests. Uh, having said that, if you, if, if you look at the agreement, uh, it's the IMF that calls the shots now regarding the future projections of the Greek economy. So if the IMF doesn't agree on the sort of forward projections of what will happen, um, nothing can really happen with regards to the famous countermeasures that Mr. Tsipras uh, is in the process of legislating. And just to explain to those of you who are not very familiar with what is currently being legislated uh, in Greece, um, we have a program that's coming to an end in 2018, and we have the strange situation where we've been asked to legislate now fiscal measures for 2019 and 2020 post-program fiscal measures of 2% of GDP. Uh, 1% in pension cuts, 1% uh, in additional revenue by lowering the tax uh, uh, threshold. The government has come up with this notion of countermeasures, uh, which basically means that if we exceed the target of the primary surplus by 2%, that is, if we achieve a primary surplus of 5.5%, we can take 2% of additional uh, fiscal countermeasures to bring down um, the primary surplus to 3.5%. Now, who believes that we can um, uh, produce a primary surplus of 5.5%? Uh, that is still a, a big question. So in our mind, the measures will be implemented. The countermeasures will probably never be implemented. Hence, we will have a package that is very, uh, very, very, very painful uh, fiscally. And in our mind, I will keep on making this point, a package that was completely unnecessary. No one actually asked us to take these measures six to eight months ago. Uh, but there is a cost you pay when you delay, when you pretend that you're negotiating, when you lose credibility. And, in my mind, this is the most important argument, when you're not committed to reforms. 
as long as the government is not committed to real reforms, we will be asked for additional fiscal austerity. And that is the wrong recipe uh, for Greece. And you think in the short term, uh, the IMF um, will help Greece to have uh, a debt write-off? Do you think there's a new deal on the debt uh, in the coming months to be had? Well, the IMF is most probably going to be joining the program with a one-year program until the end of the current program. Uh, so there will be a one-year uh, one IMF program with, with limited uh, funding until August 2018. That's a success. There will be, there will be, well, there will be something on the debt side, Having said that, uh, there, there is some blame to be placed on our creditors for not offering Greece uh, a solution on the debt side earlier because the initial commitment that something additional needs to be done with the Greek debt was made in November 2012. Uh, so uh, if and when something happens on the debt side, it's probably you know, better late than never, but it's something which should have happened earlier. Obviously, the situation, the public finances have deteriorated significantly over the past two years, so you need sort of a bigger intervention uh, on, uh, on the debt side, but we more or less know um, what, what this would entail. We know what is and what isn't acceptable uh, for our creditors. But for me, the most important parameter, uh, and as I'm speaking to a, a group that I'm sure also includes economists, after all, I am at the London School of, uh, uh, of Economics, in my mind has to do with the commitment uh, that Mr. Tsipras has, has basically assumed that Greece will need to produce primary surpluses of 3.5% for the foreseeable future for many years. Uh, this is highly problematic, and you will not find many trained economists, even within your faculty, uh, who will make the case that an economy with the characteristics of Greece can produce primary surpluses of 3.5% for many years. Mm. And that, in my mind, is the essence of the problem. And this is what I will try to convince our creditors that they need to change. Uh, how, how can I do that? Only if I make a credible case on the reform side, only if uh, a government that comes into power openly embraces the structural reforms that are actually included in the third and the fourth program and also adds some on top of that because uh, I don't think that the whole reform agenda is, okay. is, is complete. So I think the grand deal that you refer to is a grand deal of trading real reforms for a little bit of fiscal space. Uh, okay. Perhaps uh, we could come back to this, that in a moment, but uh, of course the Prime Minister in China this weekend seems to have had uh, a very positive meeting with the head of the IMF, Christine Lagarde, and they've both spoken about uh, the need for uh, debt relief uh, for Greece uh, in order to um, return to, to growth. In that press conference, the Prime Minister said that if the debt relief was not forthcoming, and if the IMF was to step aside from the adjustment programme, then uh, Greece should not implement the current reform measures. Uh, you're saying to the, uh, to the Greek people, these measures are necessary anyway. No, I'm not saying that. Uh, not at all. First of all, if Mr Tsipras really meant what he said, he should have included this provision in the law. He has not done that. So there is no conditionality in the current piece of legislation. It's nice talking about these things, uh, but you know, when it comes to what is actually voted in Parliament, we're talking about something, um, uh, something different. Uh, no, I'm saying, I'm saying the, uh, the opposite. That the, these fiscal measures uh, are imposing an additional unnecessary level of austerity uh, on, uh, on Greece. Uh, and uh, even if you look at measures such as 
the, the broadening of the tax base, which one could in theory argue is, uh, is, in, the right, uh, is in the right direction. Uh, it's very difficult to accept that you have an introductory marginal tax rate of 22%. Uh, for people who earn an income of six or seven thousand euros, so you're imposing a lot of pain on poor people um, uh, with very limited income. And, and there's an irony here that Tsipras came to power by by claiming um, Tsipras basically said three things: um, he's going to tear up the memorandum and he's going to uh, finish with austerity. We have cumulatively almost 14 billion of additional austerity measures uh, since uh, since Mr. Uh, Tsipras uh, uh, came uh, into power. Uh, he said that he would not legislate measures uh, that uh, go beyond the end of the current program. He has legislated uh, measures that go beyond the end of the current program. And he always said that, look, we are here to protect the weakest. We are a government of the left, and we care about the weakest in Greek society. It's the weakest that are actually being punished uh, by his, his policies. So uh, all the myths... Uh, really have been uh, dispelled. What's left is, uh, is a government that is, is trying to make some sort of U-turn. Uh, and uh, now we hear Mr. Tsipras talk a lot about uh, the need to attract investment uh, and about uh, how important it is to talk to foreign investors uh, and, and bring them to Greece. Well, um, I, I cannot say better late than, uh, than never, but what I, what I will say is that at the same time when he's making these statements, his own party is undermining most of the important foreign investments that actually uh, take place or are, are in the process of being implemented in Greece. So there is still, unless you have a government that is 100% committed to the reform agenda, that has a strong public mandate to implement these reforms, that is clearly pro-business, liberal, uh, and uh, uh, interested in attracting foreign capital, we will not generate the level of investment that is necessary to create jobs and to help some of these young people, because I'm sure we also have a lot of Greeks uh, in our audience, to hope that at some point they will come back to Greece and find a decent job. It's not going to happen with this government. Okay. Uh, if I was a Greek voter, I'd have thought so much of your strategy depends on whether you personally will have more credibility with European partners and the European partners would give you somehow a better deal than mm. the current uh, prime minister. Uh, you've, o you've also just spoken about the building up the credibility through structural uh, reform. Do you have any indication at all that Chancellor Merkel, other European leaders, basically have more faith in you than Alexis Tsipras? Well, uh, what I can tell you is that... Uh I'm someone who has been extremely consistent in what I say and what I have done so far in my political career. I was Minister of Administrative Reform, had a very thankless task of downsizing the public administration, uh, and uh, tried to implement real reforms, some reforms I didn't necessarily agree with, but I, I did try to implement a lot of real reforms, uh, and some of them were actually quite successful. So I have a track record. Um, and uh, my, my public statements have always been pro-reform. And I was elected leader of New Democracy through a sort of grassroots uh, movement because I made the case for real reforms against all odds and against most people, most pundits who thought I never had a chance. Uh, but I made my case for reforms to, the, to the, at least to the, the, the New Democracy base. A lot of people came and voted for me. 
a lot of people did not belong to New Democracy and came and registered to the party yes. uh, and, and voted uh, uh, for me. I got very impressive numbers, by the way, in London in the, in the, in the, second, uh, in the first and the second round. So. We, we noticed yeah. that, and that um, was the cause of the invitation. Uh, so uh, I've been, I've been the, uh, I think that there's a, change, uh, there's a change of attitudes in Greece. Um, uh, I, I think uh, in spite of the pain and the suffering and the anger and all the negative emotions, people understand that growth is only going to come from the private sector, uh, that we need private investment, that we should probably aspire to a smaller, more efficient state, but we also need to pay lower taxes. So it's my job to uh, basically express this, this change which is really happening in Greece. Okay. At the moment, your brand is tremendously popular. Uh, Kyriakos is more popular than the party, and the party is more popular than the opposition. Uh, but I wonder, you know, many of my Greek friends who might identify in the political centre of the spectrum say, yeah, Kyriakos is uh, tremendously able. Uh, he hasn't been to the LSE, but he's been to Harvard. Uh, and he says all of the right things. We like what he says, etc. The problem is the party that he leads. And I wonder to what extent you are an agent of change for your own party. A number of people say to me, I'd have much more faith in Kyriakos if he had already shown that he was changing near the Mokotia now when he's 20%, uh, 20 percentage points ahead in the polls. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, we've done a lot to change uh, Nea Demokratia. Uh, we, we had our, our Congress, we changed our bylaws, we elected new grassroots uh, members, 70% of our, of our grassroots party leaders uh, are, are new. We even moved, symbolically moved offices and saved 80% uh, uh, of our rent uh, by symbolically moving to a poorer part of Athens. But the most important aspect is that we have, uh, we have made several open calls uh, to people to actually uh, come and tell us how they want to help us. Uh, and uh, the most recent call that we made, which is the most important uh, one, we have already interviewed more than 900 people who have expressed, openly expressed an interest uh, in helping us in some way. Some of these people actually want to present themselves as candidates. Uh, in the next election. Some want to help from a technocratic position. Some may be aspiring to a job in government after the next election. But this is something which is unprecedented. It has never happened uh, in, a, in a major party. Uh, a lot of, you know, th there's some reaction within, within the party, but I've made a very clear commitment that I will renew, I will significantly renew the party list for the next elections. Uh, obviously, all, all MPs automatically uh, have a, a position on the list, uh, but there's still a lot of room to bring in new people and, and foster, more, uh, foster more competition. And I can tell you there are a lot of people uh, who are making the case to, to me and to the, the party committee that will make this decision that they actually deserve a position on the list. So uh, uh, you should not look at what's, happening, what's necessarily happening now, but what will happen after the elections and how different the parliamentary group um, uh, will be. Having said that, one of the big challenges and we need to speak openly about that, uh, has to do with how do we attract young talent to politics in general. It's not easy to make a case today that one should engage in, in, in politics, uh, especially at a time when there is little trust uh, and uh, when there's a lot of cynicism. 
But we need to make a case, especially to the younger generation, that political involvement needs to go beyond just participating in, uh, in elections. And you have a lot of, a lot of, I'm sure, a lot of talented people here that care passionately about, uh, about Greece. And what I want is to give them an opportunity through a meritocratic system uh, to offer uh, their services. The truth is that the, the, the traditional parties tended to be rather tribal. You, had, uh, you needed to be connected to someone uh, to hope that you have a chance to rise uh, through the sort of party hierarchy. I want to break that, and I will break that, because uh, the, the, uh, at least the people, especially the younger people who want to get engaged in, in politics, deserve to be judged on their, own, uh, on their own merit. So I would argue that we have, we've made a lot of changes. There's still a lot to be done, uh, and uh, especially if we have time until the next elections, we will move uh, much more aggressively in uh, uh, in that direction, and uh, we will act actively recruit also outside, uh, you know, the the confines of the uh, of the centre right. And I've also made another pledge that uh, uh, if I have the, the privilege of being elected prime minister, uh, I will form a cabinet that will also include uh, a substantial number of people who are um, who are going to be joining uh, politics for the first time and who will be outsiders. Um, uh, uh, business people or people from academia who have something to who have something to uh, to, to offer uh, and who are not sort of traditional politicians. Okay, no, that uh, sounds uh, very good. It would be um, I take the point that 900 people may be uh, wishing to be on the the party list, and you wish to promote uh, meritocracy and a new style of politics. Um, so presumably, between now and the next election. If there was any evidence that uh, any of these candidates were engaging in uh, clientelistic, risfetti politics, you would say goodbye. <laughs> We've done that already. Um, I don't want to go into it. We've had some pretty hilarious cases of, uh, uh, of, of some candidates really exceeding Okay. Uh, ex- exceeding the, the, the limits of what is acceptable, and we made it very clear that if you do that, um, uh, you're out. Okay. Uh, obviously, this is not going to be 100% success, uh, but uh, everybody knows the sort of qualities that I reward and that I'm looking for, and it's not engaging in traditional clientelistic okay. politics. Okay. That's, 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 not what I'm, that's not part of the job description. Okay, perhaps we can move to your ideas, and uh, you've touched on some of these points uh, already. Of course, you come from a very long tradition of liberal politics uh, in Greece. I wonder what the term liberal means to you. Neoliberal, of course, in the Greek context, has been um, really rather a controversial term, Uh, not necessarily the the word to use to win hearts and minds. Uh, I I wonder what, what is your liberalism? I think I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a liberal in the classical sense of the sort of liberalism that you know young students get taught uh, here at the uh, LSE, looking at look, look, looking at the sort of liberal tradition of uh, 19th century um, um, uh, UK political um, uh, thinkers, someone who believes in uh, in in the premise of the concept of uh, of freedom, who believes that individuals have both rights uh, but also uh, responsibilities. Uh, uh, who believes that we we need a, overall a smaller state that uh, messes less with people's uh, uh, lives, but 
uh, a state that is also uh, efficient at doing what it should be doing. So uh, rather than doing lots of things poorly, it should do uh, a few things uh, rather well. I, I don't believe that markets always get it right because they don't, and we, we know that is the case. But I also believe that we need to be very careful what and how we, uh, we regulate, and that in Greece, quite frequently, we have over-regulated um, uh, markets uh, simply because we wanted to protect special interest groups. And that, in my mind, is not compatible with my sort of uh, liberal uh, uh, approach. But mostly, mostly I believe in, in the concept that uh, um, uh, people need to have equal opportunities at the beginning of their lives. Uh, and then everyone is going to proceed according to their own uh, skills uh, and capacities. But if we talk about equal opportunities, we should start by talking about education. And there is very little serious debate in Greece about education. We talk a lot about universities, uh, but we don't talk about nursery schools. We don't talk about primary schools. Uh, we don't talk about the fact that our schools are in a mess uh, right now, that if you look at the curricula of what we, of what we teach uh, kids, it has nothing to do with the sorts of skills that they will need in 10, 12, 15 years when, the, when, the, when they become uh, adults. So in my mind, the most meaningful liberal reform is uh, a, a bold reform of, of public education that uh, really creates you know, good schools, especially for those underprivileged kids that cannot afford a private education. Okay, so a, a liberal education presumably would mean, to take one example, the influence of the church on the school curriculum would be less at the end of your period of office. Ah. <laughs> Well, I've uh, actually openly discussed the need to um, redesign Friskeftika uh, uh, because, you know, I've uh, quite frequently, you know, I have a daughter who's 14 and, uh, you know, I, I sometimes manage to, to, find, to find time to, to, to sort of review her work and, you know, it doesn't make any sense what I read in these, in these books, but at the end of the day, we, we do need to respect the role of the church uh, in, in Greek history and you can... You can do that by also talking to the church. You don't have to, you don't have to fight the, the, the church simply to assess your leftist credentials because that's exactly what a lot of uh, the citizen ministers uh, uh, did. Uh, uh, you can make changes to the curriculum uh, in, in, in good faith. Absolutely, but presumably that would be multiple faiths. Greece is becoming increasingly multicultural. And of so course, of children of children would learn that of, there are of other co- faiths. Of course, you need to teach uh, also, uh, you know, other uh, other faiths and other religions. That is that is that that is only natural, and Greece is to a certain extent changing. That is true, but it's it's far from becoming a multicultural society. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, it is still a, a country that is that is uh, basically ethnically uh, homogeneous. Okay. That has a it has a Muslim uh, minority. Uh, in, in north, uh, um, uh, in northern, in Thrace, uh, in northeastern Greece, uh, in spite of the difficulties, uh, it's 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 a minority that has been uh, that has been r- relatively well uh, uh, assimilated, uh, and people still they feel that they are uh, uh, that they're uh, that they're Greek citizens with equal rights, maybe not the sort of opportunities that they they should have, uh, but but certainly. 
compared to what we see in, in, in other European countries, we don't have these uh, uh, sort of cases uh, uh, in, uh, and in certainly, Greece. Certainly, of course, your father uh, with the Muslims in Western Thrace uh, under the... Yeah, because the he was the one who... Innovative He was in 1990, offered what we called uh, isonomia and isopolitia, basically equal right of law uh, for all Greek citizens because the, uh, the, we, don't, we have a Muslim... Uh, minority uh, of Greek citizens, and they were not offered uh, equal rights and equal opportunities until the, the beginning of the 90s. I suspect I should um, speed up and just uh, ask a few last uh, questions. So, liberal in the sense of the state uh, being smaller in the economy, so presumably public administration would be smaller, there would be fewer public servants. Yes, but not by uh, firing people, but through a very well calculated and calibrated rule of attrition by which we would just hire significantly fewer people than, we, uh, than, uh, than retire and by aggressively uh, outsourcing uh, services that the public sector provides uh, to the private sector. Uh, we need a better level of cooperation between the public sector and the private sector uh, and uh, there are lots of functions that are currently performed by the state that should not necessarily be performed by the state. Uh, you know, I've been making the case quite frequently. This, what I say, is, is misrepresented by, by the government, but I will stick by my point that we do not need to hire um, uh, cleaning personnel as permanent personnel in the Greek public administration. That does not mean we're going to fire the existing cleaning personnel, but we don't need to hire new ones because this is a typical service that you normally outsource uh, to, the, to the private sector. Um, why can't we uh, involve the private sector uh, more in, uh, in, in even in, in the provision of, uh, of, of health care? Why can't we involve the private sector, for example, uh, through a project that will provide online ticketing for our archaeological sites? Mm-hmm. So public-private partnerships, which I, I'm, I'm a big believer in, need to go beyond just building schools which is what has happened, to also the provision of, uh, of services through, through long-term uh, contracts that will provide services more effectively and free up resources of civil servants whom you can retrain uh, and use them elsewhere. So in my mind, there is significant scope to rationalize uh, the, 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 the role and the footprint of the state. And of course, there's still significant scope to, to reduce the level and the amount of bureaucracy, especially through, through e-government and basic sort of rapid simplification processes. Um, uh, we're not sort of inventing the wheel here. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of good examples of what you can do to make the life of citizens, but also businesses, uh, simpler. I w- all governments, especially in Europe, have to uh, somehow balance uh, questions of uh, reducing taxation, increasing competitiveness, attracting FDI, with the social dimension, welfare uh, support. Uh, I was reading that uh, something like 35% of Greeks currently are either at or below the poverty level. And I just wonder... You've said a lot about the need to attract FDI to make the economy more competitive, more business-friendly, uh, and I can certainly see uh, the logic of, of that. But I wonder what you're saying to those who are at or below the poverty line, whether you're saying to them, wait, growth is just around the corner, or whether you're saying in the transitional period, 
government will do more no. to support your, uh, your plight, your poverty? Uh, I'd say two things. First of all, it was a Ne'er Democratia government that first introduced the minimum guaranteed income scheme, which is generally considered to be the most effective tool in at least alleviating um, uh, extreme poverty. It's being rolled out after a lot of delays by the current government. We support it, and it should be fully funded. At the same time, uh, there are still pockets of inefficiency uh, in terms of um, numerous um, handouts that nobody really understood how they worked uh, and essentially ended up uh, uh, benefiting people who did not really have uh, had the need for public support. So uh, I'm in favor of rigorous means testing and actually offering to those who are in greater need the resources that they, uh, that they require. But at the end of the day, the only way to escape the poverty trap is through jobs. And our agenda is basically about If you ask me what is your agenda about, it's about jobs. That's, you know, at the end of the day, that's how we will be, uh, we, we will judge that. And jobs does not just mean, uh, you know, attracting investment and, and growing sectors of the economy. It also means skills mm. and, and continuous training and, uh, and, and retraining people uh, in, uh, in the sort of skills that, uh, that, that will be uh, required uh, in those sectors that, uh, that we w- will be competitive. We... We have a big shift of people that return to agricultural production, especially a lot of younger people. And that's very encouraging because a lot of these people are extremely innovative. We have fantastic high-quality agricultural products, and we can significantly improve the productivity of the agricultural sector through technology. But somebody's got to teach these people the, the basics. You need a lot of sort of very focused uh, vocational short-term training. You need, you need certifications um, uh, to be much more, m- much more aggressive. And you, we need to make much better use of EU funds because there, there's a ton of money available. Uh, there was a ton of money available in the past. I'm afraid most of it was, was wasted. There's nothing really to show. And, of course, you know, this is, a, this is not just a Greek problem. Sort of lifelong education is a, is a constant. Yes. It's, a, it's yes. a global problem. It's a problem you're also addressing here at the uh, at the school. It's not an easy nut to crack. But it's it's not just about giving people, you know, uh, a uh, you know a 500 euro um, uh, monthly uh, sort of cash payment. It's 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 more than that. It's it's much more than that because at some point you won't be able to, to give them to pay them, you know, this for for life. So you. you and there have been some very innovative programs, some of them actually funded by important Greek foundations, that take a more holistic approach, uh, that uh, you know, look at the families in need uh, um, uh, and then focus a lot on vocational training. And of course, you know, if we offer you a job and, and you don't accept it for whatever reason, um, it's, it's difficult to, to, to make the case that we should continue to, to support one financially. Okay. My last question. Um, You've spoken of different ideas. It looks as if there won't be an early election. You've got time to um, speak to the Greek people to offer a narrative. Successful leaders, leaders especially who are 20 percentage points ahead in the opinion polls, often talk about a big idea, a connecting theme, not simply a list of items of reforms they wish to make, but they encapsulate it in a, in a set idea. Clinton said, I still believe in a town, in a place called Hope, mm. for example. People could buy into that. So between now and the next election, 
as you speak to the uh, Greek and international audience, what would be the, the strap line? What's the connecting theme, the big idea, which they would associate with Kyriakos rather than predecessors or alternatives? Well, the, the goal is very straightforward. Hopefully the next government is going to be the government that will lead Greece out of this, uh, out of this mess. And hopefully, you know, by the time we sort of celebrate our 200 years of, of, of independence, um, uh, we will be able to look at the future with, with much greater optimism because uh, at the end of the day, it's about uh, putting you know, confidence back in people's sort of souls and uh, belief that uh, um, we can get out of this crisis. But also, for me, the most important word is trust. There is no, there is no trust in Greece today. There's, there's, oh, there's no trust. There's very limited trust. You know? Even okay, you know, I, and I take all these poll numbers with a grain of salt. Uh, and... Uh, I don't get carried over by, by, by polls because I know they can, they can always uh, change. But there is a problem with trust. We don't trust our institutions. We don't trust politicians. We don't trust each other. So, uh, and this is, a, this is a very, very difficult uh, problem to, uh, to address. Uh, so for me, this is probably the most important theme. It may sound a little sort of romantic, but unless we, we establish, uh, you know, uh, a trust in political leadership that will speak the truth, do its best to deliver, uh, get, uh, receive a clear mandate, and not do say one thing and do the complete opposite. I mean, how can you have trust when somebody sort of promises to rip up the programs and assign two programs in two years? So it's 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 difficult to make the case that uh, we should trust politicians. And of course, at the end of the day, uh, it's very subtle. We're not all the same in politics, uh, but it's up to people to decide. That this is uh, that this is the case. So, talking a lot about basic values, the sort of discussion that we previously had, this, this balance between rights and responsibilities, um, the idea that you know freedom and, and solidarity are the two main sort of ideological themes upon which we build our platform, I think are important in Greece. So, I'm being I'm open to ha- having this sort of uh, uh, ideological debate. I don't think it's fuzzy. I think it's very important. Uh, in a country that uh, at some point went bankrupt because it got, it, it got its priorities and its values wrong. Uh, and a lot of this is also educational uh, in nature. Um, uh, and uh, I talk a lot to young people about why I think these values uh, are, are important. But this is not just about the transactional aspect of policy. Of course you need, uh, you need policy uh, expertise. But then they were also politicians. And interestingly uh, uh, enough, uh, I- I the Greek language is, uh, is, is so rich, yet it does not make the distinctions between politics and policy. It does not exist. It's just politiki in, in, in Greece. But we need to do both. We need to both have uh, policy expertise, but we need to be able to, to sell a big vision, sell, a, quote unquote, to convince people about our, uh, our vision and, and create some sort of uh, uh, momentum. If we don't do that, um, uh, then uh, we, we won't even get through the starting gate. Okay, many thanks. I, uh, I'm pleased that when I turn my head to the audience, I see that most of you are still here. Yeah. Um, I and, should and, now... And, 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 not, and, not, and not asleep, which sometimes is, is, <laughs> yes. is a common theme in, in these uh, long lectures. I haven't been giving them yeah. a lecture. Yeah. Um, now is an opportunity for, uh, to open up to the audience. And uh, there are colleagues, I think, yes, there are colleagues in the red with microphones. Can I inv- invite you to put up your hand, briefly say, say who you are, 
There's a large audience, lots of people will want to ask questions, so could you please keep it to questions rather than uh, speeches? There's a colleague right at the very back. Uh, you need some, lots of exercise up there on the right. Uh, uh, hi, my, my name is Kostas Megir. Uh, I have um, two uh, uh, brief questions, one more in the economics and one on more on the politics side. On the economics, uh, you, you've talked a lot about trust. There's an issue of trust with uh, our creditors. And many of the reforms that you will have to implement will actually cost money. For example, we really need to reduce the tax burden. Now, we all understand that. Well, many of us understand that. Uh, that, this, that, that the fruit of such reforms will take a bit of time to transform into growth. So you'll probably have to run a deficit if you're going to do serious reforms. So the first question is, are you confident that you will have enough trust of the creditors to be able to acquire the fiscal space to really reform the uh, things like the tax code or other aspects of the reform that cost money in the, in the transition? Yeah. Now, that's my first question. I also have a... I, I was um, uh, very interested in the populism issue. Uh, one of the things that populists do is they deny the, deny the facts and they go for alternative facts. In view of this, what is your position on the prosecution of the director of the Greek um, statistical agency who all he did as a crime was actually reveal the depth of the, of the deficit? Good. Okay. Well, do you want to answer uh, that now? Or let's, take, take let's take two questions at a time. Okay. And, yeah. okay. mm -hmm. Others, please. Could you take the gentleman here, please? Hi, my name is Agil Shagelu. I'm a PhD student here. Can you offer some concrete steps on how you plan to deal with the migration crisis in Greece, and especially if you can elaborate on what will be the different steps you could take compared to the current government? Good, thanks. Okay, so well, two. Yeah. well uh, let's take one yeah. more, shall okay. we? And uh, do we have a woman in the audience wanting to ask a question? Uh, I'm sorry, yes, uh, straight in front of me here. Hello, hi, I'm Helen Reed from Reuters News. Um, I was just wondering about uh, your thoughts on Greece returning to the debt market. Do you think that this is something that you envisage um, in, in the next few years uh, if you were to be elected? And how do you see the path towards that? Thank you. Okay, well, okay. let me start by the, the reverse <coughs> order. Uh, returning to the debt markets is obviously the, the fundamental goal if we at some point want to uh, finish with the, the, the program. Uh, we, we may, best case scenario, we may be able to, to sort of try to, to tap the, the, the capital markets in a, in a protected uh, manner, assuming the second review is completed, assuming we have some visibility on the debt side, assuming we get Q QE, this could actually uh, happen within the next months. But the real question is what's happening after the end of the program? Um, we will need to borrow uh, more than 10 billion, I think it's 13 billion uh, euros in 2019. And the real question is, have we restored the level of credibility to be able to borrow this amount of money at reasonable interest rates. You can always borrow. The question is how much is, gonna, how much is it going to, uh, uh, to cost you? And, and uh, the jury is still out on that. Uh, with, again, I have my doubts that the, that the current government 
can restore this, uh, uh, this level of, of, of confidence to really convince the capital markets that have <coughs> actually turned, uh, turned the corner. Uh, on the question of migration, that's, uh, th- that's a very complicated issue. And uh, more than a year ago, we actually, all the political leaders met under the President of the Republic to, to, to try to agree on, on a common strategy towards a migration um, uh, issue. Uh, and uh, we've made it very clear that we don't want to play sort of domestic politics with migration because it's too, too big a problem to be part of the traditional Greek domestic political debate. Unfortunately, a lot of the things that we have agreed have not really happened. Uh, I think the government is still hostage to a lot of its uh, sort of uh, uh, leftist uh, um, uh, ideological constraints when it thinks about uh, migration. For example, we have been making the case uh, that uh, uh, on, the, uh, on the islands you need to be able uh, to separate um, uh, the, the refugees from the economic migrants, at least in terms of their initial uh, profile, and you need to keep them sort of in, uh, in separate uh, facilities, and you, and, and you need to be rather aggressive with trying to return uh, economic uh, migrants back to their countries of origin. This is something which so far has not, has not really happened. We've been terribly inefficient uh, in absorbing the significant amount of EU funds that have been made available to Greece uh, to deal with the migration problem. We've been terribly inefficient in processing asylum applications um, uh, uh, from, uh, uh, from refugees who arrived after the deal with, with Turkey was, uh, was put into, uh, into place. So there are a lot of fundamental inefficiencies in the way we, uh, in, in the way we, we manage the problem that I think could be uh, addressed by a more competent uh, government. Of course, the overall forces and dynamics behind the problem uh, are still going to be uh, there. Greece is still very much dependent uh, on the deal that, it has, that Europe has signed with, with Turkey. Uh, the, the deal so, much, so far seems to be uh, holding, which obviously uh, is, uh, is good. Uh, we don't really have a plan B uh, if, uh, for whatever reason, the uh, relationship between uh, Turkey and uh, EU uh, uh, gets uh, highly, highly problematic that would aff- affect Turkey's approach uh, to the migration uh, problem. Now, on, uh, on the question that Costas asked, first of all, uh, on the EU issue, uh, no further charges have been pressed uh, against Mr. EU, and uh, I fully uh, respect uh, the decisions taken by Greek justice, and my, my comment is never to, uh, to comment on issues uh, pertaining to justice because that can get you uh, in a very, very treacherous uh, um, uh, position. Uh, on the first part of the question, which is, the, which is also, uh, I think, very, very important, uh, if we stick to primary surplus of 3.5%, it will be difficult to create the necessary fiscal space. I want to be perfectly honest. Uh, the Bank of Greece... Uh, a lot of senior, uh, serious senior economists have argued that you can actually work the, make the numbers work with primary services of 2% uh, with the reasonable interventions on the debt side that we all know will be accepted to our creditors, especially Germany. Uh, but in order for this to happen, you need slightly better growth projections than the one made uh, by the IMF. Uh, that's why the reform uh, sort of agenda is so important, because it affects the underlying growth rate. We talk too much about the numerator, the debt, and much less about the denominator, which is the GDP. And that is my concern, and I think that's where we can really convince um, our creditors that we need to take a different approach. Having said that, there is still room to create some fiscal space on the, on the, on the spending side. 
And we've put forward specific proposals on where we think there is still sort of additional fat within the administration. It's not unlimited, uh, but we can squeeze out uh, a sum that is not insignificant uh, in order to start cutting taxes uh, and then sort of hopefully uh, uh, we will generate a sort of of positive growth. Uh, I'm not a a true believer in in the sort of uh, absolute logic of supply-side economics. In the short term, you always have sort of a shortfall uh, in, uh, in, uh, in revenue when you, when you cut taxes. But if we manage to break out of the sort of low growth trap we find ourselves in, and if we combine that with aggressive measures to tackle tax evasion, which basically mean in my mind two things, uh, a well-staffed independent revenue agency that can do very specific targeted uh, audits on high-risk uh, uh, individual or corporates uh, for, for tax evasion, and very, very aggressively pushing electronic payments to reduce, significantly reduce the dependence on the economy on cash, uh, which is an issue I fundamentally and firmly believe in, you can actually have additional revenues through through the the ability to to, to address tax evasion more, more effectively. But you're right to point out, at the end of the day, the fiscal space needs to be provided through some sort of new grand bargain with, uh, with our creditors. Okay, so more questions. Could we take the gentleman in the very centre here, please? Yeah, if you could just keep your hand up, please. Hello, good evening. My name is Jorgos Cordelas. Uh, we talked a lot about hard facts, about restructuring debt, uh, surpluses, etc., etc., all the economic uh, uh, growth that will hopefully come uh, with you as a prospect uh, of being the new Greek uh, prime minister. When are we starting telling us, the Greeks, when are you going to start telling us, the Greeks, that the bigger issue, which is long-term, is, is that we need to change our attitude in allocating our favors to family, friends, etc. And this is a thing that probably will take one, two, three, how many generations? And I think now is the time, is a window of opportunity, I think, for you to address this issue, because in, in my view... We haven't done that. I haven't heard it from you or from your party or from any other politician. We haven't told us Greeks that we are partly to blame, and it's not only the Troika or the Germans to blame. And I think this is very important because this is a long-term okay. issue. So my question is, do you agree that this is an, uh, an issue? This, uh, and uh, when are you starting, going to start, and how are you going to convince the Greeks, us Greeks, to change? Okay, thanks. And then could we take the lady here, please? If you could just put your hand up again. Thanks. Good evening and welcome to London. I was a big fan of your dad and I was participating in his campaigns when he was Prime Minister many years ago. So it's great luck to have you here tonight. I will ask you one simple thing as soon Could as I can. Could you say who you are, please? Uh, yes, my name is Kyriak Sonido. I'm a doctor. I'm GP with special interest in cardiology and quite active in this community. I left the country many years ago because of lack of meritocracy, and that hurt a lot. I achieved a lot here, thank God, I'm happy for that, I earn a lot, but I miss my country. We discussed a lot about brain drain, we are accused that we abandoned the country to come and work here for more money. It's not a lie, but as a young politician, I would ask you directly, looking directly to my face and to many other people of my age, why should we come back? 
how are you going to have a life of dignity? Getting paid less than here, but it doesn't matter. But can we still live? Because a doctor gets paid less than 1,000 euros per month, which is really poor. And if you look at me, how could you make me, or how could you convince me to go back to my country, which I really miss, and I want to offer more than here? Thank you. Okay, thank you. And uh, could we take the lady in the very centre, just here, please? Uh, no, if you can come forward, here. Oh, sorry. Thanks. Hi, my name is Anna Crony, member of LSE alumni. We talked about, uh, a lot about the current and short-term uh, future. Would you be able to describe two scenarios for Greece in 2050? What would in be, one? In 2050, what would be the political, socio-economic situation 30 years from now? Mm. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Simple question. Um, I think the first part of the answer is that I would not be here, but anyway. Okay, so, uh, well, the, <laughs> let me take these three quick... Well, yeah. Uh, the only institution I know that runs economic models until 2050 is the IMF, and uh, I, I, don't put much, I don't put much faith uh, in, uh, in, in those predictions. Uh, look, no, I can't, frankly, because you're, you're pushing me to, to look way into the future. What I do know, however, is that there is, uh, we, are, we are facing a huge transformation as a result of uh, uh, a technological revolution that is completely unprecedented. Uh, that's not just it's happening in Greece, it's happening everywhere. And we're frankly struggling as, as, as politicians to, to think about how you know, the division of labor is going to work, uh, um, uh, how this technology is going to displace um, uh, existing jobs, uh, what are the skills necessary for the next generation of, uh, of, 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 of young kids. What I try to, when I think about the long-term future, I try to envision what it means for a kid, a six-year-old kid, to enter primary school in 2017 and always think that he or she will get out of primary school in 2029 and try to think, what do we teach these kids? How is the world, uh, the, the world going to be uh, then compared to, um, uh, to today? We already know uh, that the basic skills that we teach kids in, in school today, memorizing stuff, is not particularly helpful when you know, all the information is basically accessible. Uh, so if I think about the, the future in the context that you, that, that you mentioned, I, I try to think about you know, uh, a world that is rapidly changing and at least providing the younger, our younger kids with, with the skills that are necessary. Uh, to have a chance to thrive in this, uh, in this changing world. Having said that, uh, I think that a lot of the comparative advantages that we have as a country are, are not that threatened by the technological revolution that is going to, to take place. Uh, uh, the natural beauty of the country, uh, the culture, uh, its geopolitical uh, position, uh, uh, the fact that we are, you know, talented people, and I'll address the issue of the attitudes in, 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 in a little bit, but I, I do think there is, we are hardworking, uh, talented people who, who, who want the best of the, for the country, and at this point, uh, you know, it's also relatively, yeah. unfortunately, um, uh, these, you can also hire talent uh, relatively cheaply. These are important comparative advantages upon which uh, we can, uh, uh, we can uh, build. So, Nothing really more to offer beyond that. Uh, 
But these are important discussions, and we, they don't usually take place in Greece because we never talk about the sort of longer-term reforms that go beyond the, uh, the electoral cycle. Uh, to your question, uh, I fully understand why a lot of people, uh, young, talented people, have left Greece. And I talk to them all the time. I was also, uh, at a, in a different period in my life, someone who was living in London and was actually, at some point, I went through the dilemma should I return to Greece or not? And I decided to take a job that was paying significantly less at the time to return to Greece. But, you know, I knew that there was, you know, I thought at least that there was stability, that I was willing to trade even, you know, the sort of money that I was earning uh, here for returning to my homeland, uh, being, being happy there, and try to build, a, you know, a, a productive career starting from a lower base. But the real question is, are there enough opportunities is there a real meritocracy? And are people going to be rewarded based on their merit rather than uh, on, on their connections? And this is clearly not really happening in Greece. Obviously, it's happening much more in the private sector. Huh? Uh, the private sector, by nature, is more meritocratic than the public sector. Not fully meritocratic, but certainly more meritocratic. And the real challenge is, how do you also change the public sector? But at the end of the day, it's about opportunities. Uh, if there are no jobs in Greece, you will not consider returning. You won't even have the option to return. I want to give you the option. The choice is yours then. Uh, and uh, we should not forget that we live in a global world. Not everyone is going to return to Greece. And at the end of the day, um, uh, it's uh, uh, the fact that we have so many people who have the skills and are risk takers to actually leave Greece and f find a better future for themselves abroad is also an, an, an indication of health. So what I want to give you is I want to give you the option to return. Uh, and if you have the option, then it's going to be your call. Uh, then it's, it's a deeply personal uh, decision. But I want you to at least have the option. And the option means a decent job uh, with prospects for your, for your career. That's why, you know, at the end of the day, it does come down to, to, to jobs. Attitudes. You know, I hear a lot about, you know, uh, the sort of problematic attitudes uh, that we have. And I, I sort of thought that uh, when I make the broader discussion about values, that this is really... What I'm trying to, what I'm trying to, uh, to get at, but there are always two sides to the coin. Huh? Um, uh, we should not uh, be, we should be critical of our responsibilities for what has happened. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I've openly uh, said uh, that the crisis brought about the program, the memoranda, and not the other way around, uh, uh, because there are still people in Greece who think uh, that it is the other way around. <laughs> Uh, that the crisis is a result of the program, uh, and that's clearly a fantasy. Uh, so let's be honest in assessing our responsibilities. Let's look at the hard facts, what, what really happened. Important to do in a world where facts are always distorted, but at least there's been a lot of literature, I think, which is good about what really happened in Greece. Uh, and most of it follows the sort of same narrative. There isn't much of a revisionist approach to what really happened. We know why we went bankrupt. Uh, and, uh, uh, of course, uh, you know, attitudes come down, in my mind, to education and role models. Uh, leadership is uh, very important, and I'm not just referring to leadership, uh, the political leadership. Huh? There's a lack of leadership uh, in Greece in many fronts. There's a lack of business leadership, uh, I'm afraid to say. Greek business people have not uh, done what they, what they should be doing 
um, uh, to support the country. They've not invested in the country as much as they should. They were more concerned with their own personal well-being rather than with uh, the overall well-being of their companies or society. Obviously, there, there are many exceptions, but I think I'm afraid this is a rule. There's been a lack of leadership uh, amongst the, uh, the, the, the academic uh, world, not as outspoken as, as we should. At least now, within the university community, we have a lot of people who are outspoken about what is really happening in Greek universities, uh, and that is, uh, that, that is to be uh, welcomed. So um, it's not just us, you know, the political leaders. Uh, if, if we create a common narrative, uh, this narrative needs to be supported uh, uh, on, many, uh, on, on many different uh, levels. But we should not forget that this country has struggled to find its, its, its place between the East and the West since uh, the Greek uh, Revolution. And it has been a constant struggle. And it's going, sort of to borrow a phrase from uh, a book by Stathis Kalivas, from triumph to disaster, back and forth. And it's, this, has been, this is what we've been about for, 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 for 200 years. So let's at least make sure... I cannot predict what will happen in 2050, but let's just make sure that we, we end this catastrophic period with another sort of big leap um, uh, forward because we've done that in our past. And that we should never forget that we faced uh, incredibly complicated challenges. Uh, and that's why I think it is so important that history is taught properly, especially modern Greek history, because we can tell younger people, look, we've, we've had to go through very, very difficult periods. I mean, Wars, uh, um, uh, civil wars, uh, uh, you know, catastrophe back in 1922. And I'm afraid that sometimes we're losing this perspective. You know, one of the good things of uh, uh, having the privilege of having a father who's, who's 99 now but still, still, still around and still, still active is that you can actually discuss some of these challenges and you get a perspective on, on, on what sort of difficulties, you know, the, the previous generation had to go through. And they went through momentous task. I mean, we had to rebuild the country after a devastating civil war uh, back in 1949 uh, uh, with, with deep, really deep, deep divisions in Greek society. And in spite of the difficulties and the mistakes, we succeeded. So I think we need to take uh, optimism from these, uh, from these stories rather than constantly focus on the negative aspect. Okay, let's take another round of questions. Could we take the lady in the centre here? But can you keep your hand up? Uh, I think coming on your right. It's coming now. Hi, um, I'm an MSc student at the European Institute. I feel like a lot of the reforms that you already do propose, the cornerstone, at the heart of them, there's administrative reform. And you have, you have a lot of expertise in that area as former Minister of Administrative Reform, but, but perhaps you can explain uh, it a little bit more, because a lot of what you suggest is an almost intergenerational change, but in regards to actually affecting uh, real change in terms of resistance to change, uh, the degree of unionization in the public sector in order to actually you know, enact greater efficiency at some point down the line to, to encourage investment, growth, and so on and so forth, as you discussed already, how exactly do you intend to overcome problems that previous governments have faced because these are institutional and they don't necessarily just have to do with how you staff your own party. Okay, let's take some more. There's a gentleman behind you with a white shirt. Hello, uh, my name is Stelios Georgoulas. Um, I'm living in London, I've been living in London the last 11 years. 
I want to ask you the following question. The world is changing. Innovation comes in the forefront. Uh, lots of countries around the world are connecting universities with uh, productivity. Also, what is happening? We have in Athens, in the destroyed Athens at the moment, lots of uh, startups which are doing amazingly well. Uh, what are you planning? What's your plan? Because I really have been to your website, I've been following your campaign, but I don't hear the word innovation nowhere. Mm. I don't also hear how you're going to support all these people because, okay, I know that Greece is a very beautiful country. We know about the culture. We know about all the old school words, but what's about the future? What are you going to do for all this? Okay, good, thanks. Other questions? The gentleman with the red tie here in the center. That's the advantage of having a red tie. Mm -hmm. Sorry? It's the advantage of wearing a red tie. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Possibly My name is Odysseus Matsunis, and I'm a student uh, in National Academy. Uh, I would like to ask you, in the case that you go to the Troika and uh, you propose what you want to propose, then th and, they, and they say you have, to do, uh, the, uh, you have to complete the program as it is, as the, uh, the leftist government has signed it, no matter what, what are you going to do? And uh, could the agreement for safe zones in Syria between Russia, the potential agreement uh, for safe zones in Syria between Russia and the, and the U.S. be a, a partial solution to the uh, migration crisis in Greece? And moreover, I would like... Th that's fine. I think we've... Okay, sorry. <laughs> we've traveled quite the distance already. Yeah. Uh, could we take the lady here, please? And then we're going to come yes, Okay, let's try, I'll try to take five at a time. Okay, that's good. Before I forget what it's Thank you. Danai Kirakapulu. I'm Chief Economist at the Official Monetary and Financial Institutions Forum. Looking beyond um, the idiosyncrasies of the Greek um, government, the corruption, the problems that we've had in Greece itself, to what extent do you think that what Greece is going through at the moment has to do with the architecture of the euro? And where would you stand as a future leader of a European country and a Eurozone country on the big debates that are taking place right now in terms of the, the future of the common currency, more federalism, a pan-European finance minister, etc. Thank you. Okay, thanks. And then uh, there's a lady to your uh, left here. Anna Tsipitsoglu from the LSE. Um, I would like to stick to a part of your title, uh, Defending the Truth. Do you think that we've seen the truth about the crisis? So my question is, if you were to become the next prime minister, what would you do to shed light to the uh, responsibilities about who led us to this crisis? Because already there have been parliamentary committees that have only partially touched on the issue. They, uh, there's a recent one on the issues of health, public health. But will we ever see justice in this country? Thank you. Are you suggesting a truth commission, for example? <laughs> um, and then, gosh, okay, we'll take the gentleman here, please. Yeah, you. Hi, uh, I'm George Achilles. My question is, uh, we are in a very nice university, and uh, there is no desk of DAP or PASP or CNE or whatever. Uh, what are you going to do to give uh, to the Greek university the position they deserve and to make them the center of uh, research instead of uh, party fights and uh, clean them from the um, corruption and everything? Well done. <laughs> 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 
Okay, I'm I think you've got quite a range yeah, there. Okay, well, let's go the, you know, in, in, reverse. in, in, in reverse order. Back in 2011, uh, the two main parties passed a relatively bold law on university reform. One of the decisions taken at the time, uh, which I strongly supported and I've been supporting since 2006, is to remove uh, student uh, sort of organizations from basically um, participating in the management of universities. And it was the, the absolutely correct decision uh, taken because the, the raison d'etre for CNEP, ASP, ZAP was exactly that they were, in a sense, co-managing the universities, also creating a lot of corruption and, and mini-clientelism. We turned the universities into laboratories um, to train the new clients of the future. Uh, unfortunately, some of these reforms are being rolled back. And uh, Mr. Tsipras actually wants to give again to, to sort of student organizations the uh, more saying in, in actually managing uh, the universities. And this would be uh, a complete disaster. Uh, the law, uh, we, no, we call it the, the Amandopoulou law, tried to create a governance structure for, uh, for universities that would be similar to what you see in, yes. in most sort of advanced countries and sort of independent um, uh, board uh, uh, that uh, actually has a saying uh, in, uh, in fundraising and in holding sort of the, uh, the management of the university, uh, the, the, the provost uh, accountable. All of, it has fizz- all of this has fizzled out. And it's, it's a real, real, real pity. And what we are, one of the first pieces of legislation that we will introduce is an improved version of law 4009, which was the initial uh, Yamandopoulou law. And I'm not going to back down uh, from this. And I've also made it very clear to our youth organizations that you can be active uh, in universities to sort of promote our, uh, our ideas, but you're not going to be participating in running the universities. We forget that. That's out of the question. That's uh, not why we, we have sort of uh, youth uh, uh, organizations. So... Um, uh, Let's again go in, in reverse order. We can, uh, after the next elections, we can do two things. We can either spend all our energy in uh, parliamentary committees um, uh, discussing what has happened in the, uh, in the past, uh, or we can really look into the future and try to make, really make the best use of our time by being um, as productive as we can. I have stated that the one committee which I would like to set up is a committee that basically looks into what really happened uh, during the first catastrophic six months of 2015 and how we almost reach the the, the brink of a complete uh, uh, disaster. If there is, uh, you know, if there is an agreement by all parties involved, we could look at the broader period, historical period, and, and make an honest assessment of what went right and what went wrong. Uh, from, the, from the beginning of the crisis or even before that. But I don't, have, I don't really have tremendous faith in these parliamentary committees. They end up uh, being sort of tools uh, in the hands usually of the, uh, uh, of, of the majority. And that's not really what, they, what, what they're all about. Again, I have more faith in sort of independent um, you know, sort of researchers, writers, writing about the crisis. There's been a, tons and tons of books written about the Greek crisis, some of which are actually pretty good. And actually, people do tend to buy them, um, surprisingly. There's a real interest in, in trying to understand what, uh, what happened. Uh, uh, so I think as we distance ourselves from the period 
um, uh, I think we'll, we'll be able to, to better understand who is responsible. And again, uh, in politics, uh, there's always a big distinction between uh, the political responsibility, which is uh, basically the responsibility of people when they go to the ballot box, uh, and anything that is relevant to justice. If justice identifies something that needs to be uh, explored, they should be doing their job, no questions asked. And of course, at some point, we need to change the Constitution, as I've advocated since 2006, and get rid of this absurd provision that basically grants ministers immunity two years after they leave office. I mean, this is completely, uh, completely um, uh, uh, unacceptable. Architecture of the Euro zone, um, I'm very much in line with the proposals that the, the new uh, French president uh, has made on, on changing the, the architecture of the Eurozone. The Eurozone is not sustainable the way, the way it is. It was always problematic in terms of its architecture. We need to make bold movements towards uh, sort of a deepening uh, of the Eurozone that would go just beyond you know, uh, making the banking union work. Uh, I know, understand these are issues which are sometimes uh, difficult for uh, for Germany to discuss, but it's, it's important to have this honest dialogue, and I think that after the German elections, there'll be more traction to actually have uh, uh, this uh, uh, discussion. Uh, safe zones in Syria? Um, uh, I don't think... The, the, the problem of migration now is, is much more a problem related to migration coming from Africa, and migration coming from Afghanistan or Pakistan, uh, we don't see that many S Syrian refugees. That doesn't mean that we don't need to address the Syrian problem because it's a, it's, it's a, uh, it, it is a complete disaster, but it is not necessarily related to the, the profile of, of migrants that, uh, uh, that arrive in Europe uh, these, uh, um, uh, these days. I want to make a comment about what, what Stegel says about startups because uh, I've, I've spoken a lot about these issues, and if it's not on my website, I, I need to do something about it because uh, uh, somebody needs to be held accountable. Because I've, 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 I've given tons and tons of speech on this on, the, on this issue, because I spent seven years of my career uh, in venture capital financing uh, startups at a time when entrepreneurship was not really in vogue in Greece. That was uh, before 2004, when people still felt that it was easier to get a job in the public sector than to set up a, a, a startup. This has changed. And there is a booming ecosystem of startups in, uh, in Greece, which is probably one of the most promising things that has come out of the crisis. What do startups need? Access to capital. We need more venture capital funds. We need more angel investors. We need to convince uh, maybe you know, wealthy Greeks, uh, the, you know, the shipping community, that it is worthwhile to look at, to look at these investors at the very early stage and, and provide sort of a network of, of angel investing. There will be several venture, new venture capital funds set up through uh, EIF funding, which is extremely promising. It's probably 400 million um, euros available uh, for this. Uh, but you also need, uh, in my mind, generous tax breaks for new companies during the first two, three years um, of their, uh, of, of their uh, existence. Uh, simplification of regulatory burdens for new companies. We've already done, taken a few steps in this direction, especially in terms of setting up uh, a, a company uh, in Greece. Uh, and of course, the big question of social security contributions, which is something which is a problem across the board. But I talk to a lot of young companies that actually lose very talented people, especially talented engineers, to companies abroad. A lot of them go to Cyprus. 
because the total cost on the company, including social security contributions, is just too big to uh, it's, it's just too big to um, uh, to bear. So we have a very clear sort of uh, strategy, not just a vision, what we want to do with uh, uh, with uh, with the startup uh, ecosystem. And of course, uh, we need to make it much easier to, to connect what's happening in universities um, with <laughs> what's happening in the, in, in the real world. Uh, there still seems to be a a gap, you know, the, the Greek left still believes that the companies need to be outside universities. I mean, it's, it's an absurd approach coming from, uh, from another century, which means we also need to streamline um, issues related to IP, um, the sort of benefits that uh, a researcher may have if he goes up and sets up his own, uh, his own startup. We just look at what Israel does. It doesn't, shouldn't be a rocket science uh, uh, and make sure that we have the proper incentives in place for the university, for the researcher, for the one who provides the private capital. It's not difficult to split the pie in a way that's, that's reasonable for everyone. And last question on administrative reform. I, it's an issue I feel very passionately uh, uh, about uh, and of, obviously there are lots of priorities and I could talk um, for hours about this. I, I'll talk about one issue which is HR and how do we manage the, the, the HR personnel of the administration. We need performance assessment ASAP. When I, when I introduced performance assessment there was a huge uproar uh, and almost a revolution but now it is, it is commonly accepted that you cannot move forward without a, a proper way to measure uh, performance. We don't need very complicated systems, but uh, at least the ability to distinguish between the true stars, the, the acceptable civil servants, and those who do not do their job properly would already be a step in the first direction. We need to start from the top and move down towards the bottom. So picking the elite of the administration, the general directors, through a meritocratic process is absolutely critical. We had put in place the legislation, we had started the process, nothing has happened for two and a half years. I was reading through the program, the memorandum again, the same thing, you know, deadlines to pick the general directors in a meritocratic way. It's almost as if it's uh, Groundhog Day, the same, the same story um, over uh, and over again. But you cannot implement reforms in public administration without gaining the trust of at least the good civil servants. Uh, and the way to do that is to convince them that there's something in it for them, that if they do their job well and if they're appraised through a uh, you know, a relatively objective system. They may proceed faster through the ranks and eventually earn more money. Uh, so that, in my mind, is, uh, is absolutely critical. And the other component of administrative reform, which we cannot afford to ignore, is uh, what we call e-government. Uh, I gave a detailed presentation at uh, the Confederation of Greek Industries a few days ago on my sort of vision of what uh, e-government really, uh, uh, really means. There's, there's money available uh, through EU funds, uh, we're way behind. Let's at least use the opportunity to sort of to maybe, maybe do some leapfrogging uh, and learn from the best on, uh, on this front. And then, of course, there are lots of other things that have to do with, with processes, uh, um, the way, again, you, you, make, uh, you, you define the confines of the state, uh, what I talked about previously, what should the state be doing, what's the core real activity of the state, what should never be outsourced and what can be outsourced. This is also very much at the... Uh, at the core of, of our approach, including, of course, aggressive mobility. Um, if we cannot hire civil servants, that means that we need to be able to move them from one position to another, retrain them, uh, and, and use them uh, uh, to basically uh, to, to serve uh, uh, Greek taxpayers. Okay, it's been a privilege to have the opportunity of uh, talking with Kiriakos Mitsotakis. 
I hope very much that you feel that we've covered a good number of topics and a, a reasonable number of people have been able to uh, ask questions and hear the responses from uh, Kyriakos. Um, I'd like to uh, thank you, as I say, on behalf of the school for, for coming. And could I pass you this uh, gift? I think, in fact, two gifts. Oh. Yes. We have a tradition at the LSC that uh, people like Nelson Mandela, Bill Clinton, other people, uh, etc. We, we're tremendously generous, and we offer them an hat. LSE baseball hat. <laughs> and I can see that uh, colleagues may have actually left the price tag. <laughs> so, um, at least well, it's can, not second well, Yeah, I can, yeah, let's see. Very good. I can try it. Okay, well, it looks, it, it looks good, so... And we're hoping your uh, office in Singru that you would... No, no, uh, we moved from Singru. Uh, oh, okay. Okay, 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 okay. We're in Pireos now. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, that you would uh, accept this uh, plaque from the LSE to put on yeah. your uh, desk uh, as well, a memento. Well, well th- thank you. It was, it was certainly a, a privilege to, to participate in this discussion. We, we were chatting before whether it's more interesting to just give a speech or yeah. have a, a more interactive discussion. Uh, I think the, the second format is, uh, is better. So, again, thank you. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you.